turn with me to um, Mark chapter 14, I think. Let's see. Is that it? No, sorry. Mark chapter 10. Mike Karen says, I, I use the New American 1995 version. They have another one since then, but mine's an older one. When Wimber was alive, he would go, okay, turn in your necessary and vineyard translation, which is like he used NIV, but I went, nope, not changing. I was raised in Campus Crusade. I was raised with just the New Testament in Campus Crusade. <laughs> Later, I, I thought, why don't I get a whole Bible? You know, we, we were high school kids, and that was like 1969, and it was very popular just to use the New Testament. And uh, I really like all the old stuff, too. It, like, it all makes a lot more sense, all of it together. So, um, so when did we start doing this? Oh, I should pray, probably, too. Uh, <laughs> those formal prayers help God how about that one um, thank you for Karen, the worship that you gave us through Karen speak to us this this Lord's Day may this be a current day between each of us and you we are your family. We are of your household. We honor you. Creator of all things, we honor your son, Jesus. Jesus, we... What can we say? It's not that just that you deserve to sit at the right hand of the Father, but but we are so glad that you act and speak the way you do because we can't imagine God being any different. Holy Spirit, quicken us, each of us, no matter what, what's going on in our lives, would you put that over to the side for a moment and interact with us, and that we might interact with you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So this is Mark 10, and I'm going to pick up, uh, I was looking for a place to pick up and, um, and talk about some of this, and I've decided I would just go through and just uh, comment on a few things. Uh, it's, it's hard to get come to time, the t time in the Christian calendar and, and try to be realistic right then. I don't know if you're like me, but when you're raised in the church since you're little, uh, you honor things, but at the same time, it kind of becomes such a routine is that it's hard to, to see it as if you've never seen it. So the the goal is, is like when you start looking at this, try to like you've never seen it before. Because when I can get there, I see something new. And uh, otherwise, I'm just visiting something that I know.
too well sometimes. Yes. Uh huh. No, that's that's really good, Karen, because uh, as you were saying that, I was just thinking back. I had taken art history in college, you know, as part of being an art educator. And, you know, we're, we one of my classes, naturally you take one on like the Renaissance, and, and you're reading all this stuff. And the professor would go every year to, to Italy and different places, so he knew all the background stories. And like, wow. It was so much fun to know the background stories of what was going on, why something was happening. And so, but then I became a teacher and thought, you know, I, I should teach some history. So I would start teaching history. And as soon as I'd start, somebody in the room, you know, it's real loose in an art room. Somebody would ask something that I couldn't, i go, let me, let me look that up, <laughs> you know. I couldn't give them the background, and I and I had been an okay student, and it uh, it just made it more more real, right? And so then I had um, instead of looking at books because color in in printed books don't do very much justice toward art, or I'm thinking of paintings. And so I had um, I had a time life series on all these art history. I'm sure y'all want to hear this and. And you'll find this probably right here in Mark 10, I'm sure, somewhere. <laughs> and so I had all these books, these Time Life books. Each one's on a different artist. And I had, I love Van Gogh. And uh, I'd, I'd read all this stuff. And they'd, they'd, they would put in pictures where they'd shot, shot from an angle so that you kind of see his brush strokes. Okay, you can see the brush strokes. Totally different. Patsy and I go to, um, on our honeymoon, we were in part of the time we were in New York City, and we're going to art museums. So we go to the Museum of Modern Art. And Starry Night happened to be home. It wasn't on the road. And because it was at home, it wasn't like going to Atlanta and seeing it and paying $25 and stand there with 3,000 people and you have about four seconds of a turn before the other person's pushing you out of the way. It was Patsy and I and Starry Night and a guard. You know, you could get so close and he'd go, <coughs> you know. <laughs> and there it is, and it's, you know, late 1800s, this canvas. And there's spots where, in the photographs, I knew there were places that he didn't get any paint on it. But to see raw canvas from the late 1800s with no paint on it and seeing the brush, the, the palette-like knife strokes 
that I don't know if he palette knifed or, or, or a paintbrush, I can't remember now, but it was just really heavy paint, you know, and, and the paint, as heavy as it was then, it was heavier when he did it, but he, he, he gave all these paintings to his brother to take care of, and his brother had them stacked up, and it, it kind of presses oil paints down a little bit. But here is this that is this famous painting that's on everything, umbrellas and purses and shirts and postcards, I mean, everywhere. You've heard of Starry Night. And there it is, right there in front of you. And, and, and you're seeing, you can, if you're a painter, if you've painted it all, you notice things that he's doing. You notice how he changed brushes. This work is very fine, and this is bigger. So he's the, there's a wider knife or a brush, whichever, putting it on there. And... It's the same way with this. I see where you're going. Because this, this came into, all, you know, all, all just because we started that, Karen. Um, here I've got talk from people that have been around Jesus and they've written down these gospels, these good news, right? And we can read Mark. But reading Mark is like reading the Time Life book on Van Gogh and being there with the painting is when you start having your latest encounter with Jesus in person yeah one's just a story and the other is a person right in front of you verse 32 they're on the road going to Jerusalem now, Jesus has already told them, you know, earlier that he's going to go to Jerusalem. And, and, and the boys are younger than he is. You know, we, we know Jesus is roughly age 30, and the, and the boys are younger. They're all with him, his little entourage of disciples. And Jesus is walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. Now, why are they amazed and they're fearful? Because they're starting to do what he's told them a while back that's going to do. They're going to Jerusalem. Don't you know they're back there whispering? How far we got to go? I don't know. There's a couple more little towns, you know. <laughs> What's going to happen when we get there? I don't know. I don't know. Well, do you think he'll just take over? Well, I don't know. I don't know. And again, he took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. That right there just, that's a glimpse of the Son of God. He didn't want them to be surprised. He wanted them to not freak out. That go with me through this. You're my disciples. I'm pouring everything into you. Saying, verse 33, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. It's kind of the way the road, you know, and the landscape is. 
And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. It's so plain to you and I what he's saying, right? But if we're the 12, we have already zoned out somewhere, even before he finishes this sentence. We're already somewhere else. We don't hear it completely. None of them heard it completely. He said it as plain as day right there, but it's different when it starts happening. When it starts happening, you don't remember any of the dialogue of the, of the, of the stuff ahead of time. Verse 35, and this is the reason why I know this is true. Now, I, I know I'm projecting into people, but you, you, you know people, and these are just people, right? So James and John, the two brothers, right? Sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus. He's just said this. <laughs> they came up to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he says to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. <laughs> now, what's on the boy's mind? <laughs> is it... Is it Jesus dying? Is it all the other stuff that he's just said? No. But yeah, hey, we're gonna we're gonna rule. We're gonna rule the Romans. We're gonna rule everybody. We're gonna Jesus is the head guy, and we want to be on his right and his left. <laughs> oh, there's hope for the rest of us. And Jesus Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Verse 38. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? are to be baptized with the baptism of which I'm baptized? And they said to him, we're able. <laughs> Whippersnappers. And Jesus says to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. And you shall be baptized with the baptism of which I'm baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give you, is to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And I wrote a year ago, the Father plans to honor who he plans to honor. I can't imagine who will be on the right and the left of Jesus when we see him. But they will deserve those places, whoever they are. And they may not even be in the Bible. They may be, you're going, they're who? What, where did they live? What time? What did they do? How did, what, what did they do with God? Uh, probably obeyed him with their whole life and more. Verse 41, hearing this, <laughs> all the guys, the ten began to, be in, to feel indignant with James and John. What? What did they just say? I wish I'd thought of that. I can't believe they, gosh, the nerve, the gall of them to do this, to ask to have the right and the left side of, of Jesus. I imagine they had more to say than that. Calling them to himself, 
Jesus says to them, okay, this is a learn, this, we've got a little learning thing going on here, guys. You know, <laughs> despite the fact that I'm going to Jerusalem to finish this out, this is an actual great teaching moment for all of you. He calls them to himself, verse 42, and Jesus says to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. This is how the people in the world do stuff. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, to be slave of all. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You want to know what your older brother's like? That's what your older brother's like. Your older brother knows that his younger brothers and sisters, this is what he's hoping for. This is his goal for his family. When we don't act this way, it's painful. Wouldn't it be painful to you and your family if, if this was the way it was in your family, but some of the kids, as they start growing up, don't act this way? You'd be, if it was a house and you had 12 children... You know, you and your mate would be talking when they weren't there going, what did we do wrong? We didn't raise them this way. We'll have to pray for them. So the next place along the road is Jericho, verse 46. So he's leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd and there's a blind beggar named Bartimaeus and he's sitting by the road verse 47 and when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene because he knows he's been listening you know he's blind but he can hear so when he hears it's Jesus he began to cry out saying Jesus son of David have mercy on me and many were sternly telling him to be quiet. Don't do that. You're, you're, you're messing with stuff. You, you know, that's not right. Stop it. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped, which made everybody else stop. Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, and they're so grown up, the rest of them. You know, they're talking down. This is, a, this is a one down thing. You would not have said this, I don't think. Take courage. Stand up. He's calling for you. You know what they really mean by that is, dadgummit, Jesus has asked him over personally. I wish you'd asked me over. <laughs> I just know people. I just don't think that they were like, oh, this is wonderful. The blind guy is being asked over to Jesus. Maybe not. I should 
I shouldn't be that way, I guess. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumps up and he came to Jesus. In 51, answering him, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, my master, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. So now they keep going and they get to the two little towns, which is right near the Mount of Olives, which is across the valley. There's a Kidron Valley. So you got Mount of Olives, it's kind of up. Kidron Valley goes down, and then Jerusalem is built up on a point on a hill. You know, and King David fortified it up there as a place it could be defended and stuff. And so they're right, they're right there. So it says, he sent two of his disciples, and he says to them, go into the village opposite you. Now this is probably, on their calendar, this is like Sunday noon. Remember, Sabbath is, is ends from evening to evening. And so they've just... You know, this is like first day of the week is when this is starting. So we think of this, of, of this scene as being the big deal. But see it just as this is the next part of, this, of the unfolding of all this. But there's a lot in this. So um, he tells two of the disciples. He says to them, verse 2, chapter 11, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a coat tied there on which no one has ever set, and untied and bring it here. And if someone asks you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it, and immediately he will send it back here. So they went away. They found a coat tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to, to them, what are you doing, untying the coat? Verse 6, and they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. So they brought the coat to Jesus, and they put their coats on it, and he sat on it. This is just a spontaneous thing going on. They didn't plot this. This is just what they're doing. And so I think others that are, that kind of a crowd has, has grown up to this. I mean, there's, you know, there's people, you know, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. You know that they hate the Romans. They're just so... They've, they've had, you know, the, they don't have news services, but they have each other. And they've just been talking and talking for three years around about this Jesus, you know, since John the Baptist has died and all this. And, and they got all these stories, and whether they've seen him or not seen him, that they're, you know, that's enough to get you to leave. Quit doing what you're doing. Jesus, hey, did you, did you hear Jesus is on the road? He's walking toward Jerusalem. Really? Maybe, maybe today's the day he'll take over. There's a crowd form behind them. There's a, there's a crowd form. Now there's a coat. Now they got coats on, on the back of the coat. Now other people see this and start spontaneously putting their coats down in front of him on the road. So many spread their coats, verse 8, and others spread leafy branches which they'd cut from the fields. So, so they're starting to, to make like a king coming 
you know, rolling out something. They are, they are making a pathway to honor him and to kind of physically proclaim this, I think. Verse 9, and those who went in front and those who followed were shouting. So there's some ahead because they're walking. There's his disciples with him. There's others. There's a crowd. I see more of them behind than probably in front. And they start shouting, Hosanna. Now, Hosanna is a cry of exclamation and adoration. It is a, it just a, it, that's what the word means. It's just this, yay. It's just this, wow, thing. So they're, they're, they're shouting this. This is not spoken. This is not being sung in cantata, okay? What now? Exa- exaggerated? Disaggerated. I don't know. Exactly. How are you, are you thinking you're just coming to your head or, or, or something I just said? Type of feeling? My ears ring because I was climbing under a house yesterday, so they're ringing more than typical. <laughs> okay, so yeah, this is uh, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's an Old Testament uh, line right there. But uh, they're, they're spot, and then again, they're saying, Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Now, now you see right there. Hosanna in the highest. They are excited. They think he has, he has come in the lineage of King David, which he is of, and that he's coming to set up ruling. He's coming to take over. That's what this crowd thinks right here. But at the same time, it's got another meaning to it. It's the, it's the lamb coming. Let me keep talking up here for a minute. Okay, so, you know, John has already said this when he sees Jesus come to be down to the Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The symbol it's been going on since Moses that God gave them to sacrifice a lamb once a year to remind them that, you know, and then they do this whole thing with a scapegoat and, and declaring their sins with a goat and driving it out in the desert, and then they kill the lamb, and, you know, and they put the blood on the, that was on the doorpost to, to protect them in Egypt from the, um, from, uh, the angel of death. For the firstborn, and so this, so we have a double event going on. There is the spiritual event that the Lamb of God is coming into Jerusalem, and the and and for the Lamb, the part under Moses was that you are to take a lamb without any blemish, anything wrong with it, perfect little lamb. You're to bring it into your house, pole, 
and let the lamb live with you for a few days. And then you are to uh, kill it and prepare it on this night and put all of your clothes that you're planning on leaving in. Put the, instead of putting on bed clothes or getting ready, you are dressed to leave. You are to eat this lamb, dressed to leave, because this is the night that the angel of death is going to pass over, and which they do. It kills Pharaoh's son. You know, they leave. So, this is God's lamb, his only son, coming into Jerusalem. At the same time, the people are expecting that the king has come. The king has arrived to take over. So even though that is true, sort of, it's, it'll be the second coming when that part completes. But this is the lamb part. They're not seeing this. Not now. They're not seeing that this is playing out. This is bringing the lamb into your house. The lamb is coming into the house of God, Jerusalem. Verse 11, Jesus enters Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for going back to Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. Now, you know. Before the sun, when the sun sets, it's the next, it's the ending of the day. You know, the next day starts at sunset. And they'll also close the gates. There are 12 gates around Jerusalem. So they'll lock, lock up the place. And he doesn't want to spend the night in Jerusalem. He never spends the night in Jerusalem during this week. He always leaves. So he's going back down the road to stay where he's going to stay. Verse 13, And seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. And there's been a lot of speculation that this was also a, a prophetic word that was being spoken. That he's come into the temple, he's looked around, and he's left. He's come into Jerusalem, and he said, basically with the illustration with the, with the fig tree, that you look like you've got life. You look like a fig tree in leaf. But when you examine you more closely, you have no figs. And because of that, I'm going to condemn this. And later, what is it, 69 A.D., Brooke? When is the Romans? They don't leave a stone left on top of a stone they leveled it right so in one sense this is a another thing here verse 15 did i miss 
read that. Okay, so the, the disciples were listening. So then verse 15, chapter 10. So then they came to Jerusalem. I feel like I'm missing a page there. Okay, he says that. So as he's leaving town, okay, and his disciples were listening, and, and then they came to Jerusalem, and they, they've now, we're really on, this is Monday. This is like the next day, right? So he enters the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple. So, he, so they come to town, Hosanna in the highest, Palm Sunday, all this goes on. He looks around at the temple. He leaves town. He curses the fig tree. They spend, they spend the day ends. So then Sunday, first day of the week, Jewish week, ends. And the second day starts. And so now it's daylight of the second day of the week. Our Monday is the second day of the Jewish week, right? So they've come back into Jerusalem. The gates are all open. He's, and so where does he go? He goes straight to the temple, verse 15. So he's entered the temple. He begins to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple, overturning the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Because, you know, you can get a dove for a couple of cents or, you know, you can buy something bigger. Whatever you want to sacrifice while you've come to town, we got it for a few dollars, for just a few more, whatever you can buy. If you can only afford a dove, we got that. If you need a bull, we got that. We got whatever you need, buddy. You've come to town and worship. In fact, we've got like trinkets and stuff probably that you can buy here that says that you were at the temple. Probably a little, you know, who knows. There's money to be made. People are coming from everywhere to, to the temple. We need to make some money while we're here. Verse 16, and he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach. He just can't help it. He's come to make it to say, no, it's not what the Pharisees and the Sadducees have, have added on to this. This is not how it's supposed to be. Let me tell you how it's supposed to be. He teaches every time he gets a chance to straighten out stuff. He began to teach, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you've made it a robber's den. I can't imagine what that sounded like coming from him. Coming from the Son of God in the temple. How it reverberated inside of those stone walls. Not only just the words, but the power A father's son straightening out things. I'm surprised people didn't fall down around. Who knows? How, I mean, if you were there, you would have remembered. <coughs> the chief priest and the scribes heard this and began seeking to destroy him. Good grief. Did you, were you there when he said all that? We got this guy. This guy is a renegade. This guy will change Everything we've got going. He's going to mess this all up. He's like, well, get the Romans to come. I mean, we just, we got to get, we got to stop him. For they were afraid of him. For the whole crowd 
was astonished at his teaching. The everyday people were smiling and repeating it and telling each other. But the leaders of the Jewish government, the ones in power, didn't like it. Wanted to kill him. Real Christianity, the relational Christianity, is opposed to Christianity, the religion. They are at odds with each other. From a distance, they look the same, but they're not the same. Verse 19, and when evening came, they would go out of the city. And they were passing by, as, the, as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. And being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, teacher, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it's going to be granted him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, Believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. Whatever you, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. Now, there's a now verse twenty six is not in the earlier manuscripts, so you know. If you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. Technically, that's correct, but it's just not in the early manuscripts. So they, 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 he, he's just laid out how it really is. Because we're God's children, because our words have power as his children, that we need to make sure that we're right with our Father. Because our Father weighs us according to what we weigh things. We want to be forgiven, so we need to forgive. We don't want to be judged, so we don't judge. We want love, God's love, so we should love. He's weighing us by, by what, how he wants his children to be. We're under the same rules and of, of conduct and everything that we would show others. He will measure us that way. So, so we want to be like this. They came, now, this is Tuesday. They came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And begin saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you the authority to do these things? Now, this week, uh, these days of him being there, flip back to the lamb thing. Remember, the lamb is in the house. The lamb is without blemish. 
they are examining, in one sense, the lamb that they're going to offer later in the week for Passover, right? So Jesus is being examined in Jerusalem in different ways. So how he's just acted in the temple the day before. And so now they've come to him. But what authority are you doing these things, verse 28? And who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I'll ask you one question, and you answer me, and then I will tell you what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why did you not believe him? But shall we say from men... They were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to be a real prophet. So answering Jesus, they say, we don't know. (laughs) And Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. (laughs) Touche. And then he starts chapter 12. And chapter 12 is teaching. He, he teaches the, uh, the par- you know, parables, the guy who builds a vineyard and puts a, a wall around it and all this stuff, and, you know, and they start killing off people, and finally they said, well, they, they won't honor my people coming, then certainly they'll honor my beloved son, so he sends him, and they say, ah, here comes the, you know, the boss's son. Let's kill him and get, take the inheritance. So they do in the parable. And then chapter 12, verse 9, what Jesus is saying, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Have you not ever read the scripture that says, verse 10, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it's marvelous in our eyes. Verse 12, and they were seeking to to seize him, yet they feared the people. They understood that he spoke the parable against them, so that they left him and went away. So then they sent some of the Pharisees and, and the Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. Verse 14, they came to him and said, teacher, we know that you're truthful and defer to no one, for you're not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to the Romans, to Caesar, or not? Shall shall we pay or shall we not? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? (laughs) Bring me a coin, a denarius. Bring me a coin to look at. They brought him one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. (laughs) He got them. They were amazed at him. So now, they're they're taking turns at bat, you know. So, So now the Pharisees, who don't believe that there's life after death, you know, know, they're not like the, the Sadducees are like that. So the Pharisees have sent, they went into bat and they, you know, they struck out. So, so they send the Sadducees, the ones that don't believe there's life after death. 
<clears throat> they say there's no resurrection. Verse 18, came to Jesus and questioned him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife and leaves not no child and his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. Now, there were seven brothers who, took, who first took a wife and died, leaving no children. And the second one married her, died, leaving behind no children. And the third, likewise. And so all seven left no children. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, when they rise again, which, one, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had married her. And Jesus says to them, Is this not the reason you are mistaken? that you do not understand the scriptures or the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry or give in marriage, but they're like angels in heaven. But regarding the fact that the dead rise again, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. And one of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well. Now, the scribes are the teaching group, you know. Uh, they're professional teachers. They, they know all the Old Testament, have it all memorized and stuff. And he recognized he'd answered them well and asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And second is this, verse 31, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe says to him, right, teacher, you have, you have truly stated that he is one and there is, no, he's quoting the Old Testament, uh, he is one and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Verse 34, And when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, You're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. And then, of course, then Jesus pitches one more at him about David. <laughs> you know, it's like, it shows, you know, Jesus could really make this deep if he wanted to be. And, and uh, <laughs> so he throws that one about, you know, David talking to, the, you know, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put, my, put your enemies beneath your feet. And it says David himself, verse 37, called him Lord. So what sense is he's his son? And the large crowd enjoyed listening to him. They, they enjoyed him getting the best of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, too. <laughs> you know, the know-it-alls. <laughs> they liked how he, he just toyed with them and, and could throw out stuff. Um, and then he, he, he's teaching some more there at the end of that. 38, we'll just finish kind of the chapter. In, in, the, in, the te in the teaching, he says, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplace and the chief seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearances' sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury 
and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came, put two small copper coins, which amounted to like a cent, and calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owed, all that she had to live on. I love him. He's better than anything I could have ever invented, better than any story we'd ever written. Don't you know that's the real one? That's the one you talk to. That's the one you meet in your brothers and sisters when he's manifesting in them or or in you to them. We've been calling this Holy Week since about the third century. And we don't know. He may show up in person. And if it's not now, sometime the calendar's running. Every day it's closer. We'll either go to be with him or he'll come to be with us. One or the other is going to happen. So when we're all on our faces together before the throne of heaven, and there's no telling what that's going to look like, right? It's going to be lightning and flashes of colors that don't even exist that we know of and sounds and like all of this. And we'll probably maybe be near each other. And and we'll turn sideways and go, isn't this amazing? Isn't this unbelievable? I can't believe we're here. Finally. It won't be the end. It'll be the beginning. Part two is unbelievable. We don't even have it written down. We have John giving us a vision. He's doing the best he could to explain the unexplainable. Thank you for this Palm Sunday, Lord. Thank you for Easter's coming. This week, the last week of Lent, Continue to humble us all, to write areas in our hearts that we haven't forgiven or we've sinned against someone, or just, just Holy Spirit, use this to straighten us out. This, I mean, we are always needing straightening out, but you know, we kind of focus on it as we count down here. Thank you for this Lord's day. In Jesus' name.